This morning we're reading out of the book of Acts, chapter 2. It's a long speech by Peter. We start in verse 14, and then we flip over and finish this morning with verses 36 through 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of life. Thanks be to God. We'll be confirming 18 students later this morning. Four of them have never been baptized, so we'll begin with them. Baptism with water is the way all of us officially move into the Christian family. But then after those four are baptized, all 18 will have been baptized. And so then one by one, we will have them come and kneel at the center of the altar. And we will lay hands on them and we will pray for them that the Holy Spirit will work within them and lead them to lead a Christian life for all their days. It's an important moment in their lives, but it's an important moment in the life of the whole body of Christ. Anytime someone professes faith, anytime someone confirms their faith, anytime someone renews their commitment to Christ, it is indeed an important moment. The roots of this significant act in worship are found in our reading today from Acts. It tells about Peter who's proclaiming the resurrection. And it tells us about people responding to his proclamation that God has raised Jesus from the dead and made him Lord and Messiah for any and all whom God might call to come join the family of faith. But I want us to look at a particular reference for a moment that has to do with baptism and particularly infant baptism. When we flipped over to verse 36, we're in the middle of Peter's speech. He's speaking to these Jews who are gathered listening to him. He's telling them, in fact, God has done this great work in Jesus, making him Lord and Messiah. And then it tells us that those who are listening were cut to the heart and wanted to respond. We're not sure what to do. And so they asked, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That sounds wonderful. But then he goes on in verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children. And then he goes on to say, For everyone 
whom God calls. But I want us to pause for a moment and to recognize what Peter has said about baptism and how we understand it. For the promise is for you, for your children. This is one of the earliest proclamations about how we come to faith and how the early disciples of Christ understood how we initiate someone into the family of faith. And when Peter proclaims it, he not only speaks to the adults, but he says the children are invited to come as well. It's how we understand baptism. We understand this verse and others in the Gospels to undergird our understanding that anyone in a Christian household can receive the waters of baptism, that parents can bring children when they are young and they are included in the family of faith through the waters of baptism. Methodists always want to emphasize that primarily what's happening in baptism is that God is at work, that God's grace is being offered. That God is the first priority. Our response is secondary to God's initiation of this offer of grace, of God's sending Christ to the world. You can hear it in verse 39, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. So often in baptism, people think that we are the primary actors, but what Peter is saying and what United Methodists affirm is that God is the primary actor, that God is creating us and calling us into this family of faith. The emphasis is on God promising and God calling. Therefore, United Methodists understand that anyone being raised in a Christian household can come for baptism. That anyone being raised, no matter what their age, by Christian parents or caregivers, is welcome to come for baptism. Now, some denominations limit it to children who can respond verbally. We do not see that limit in the text. So we give parents an opportunity to bring children to make commitments that they'll raise their children in the family of faith. We get to participate in that. It's a wonderful way for us to express our faith when we're able to respond to a family and say, we'll help you. We'll be a part of raising this child in the family of faith. We'll have opportunity to do that with these 18 that come later this morning. It's wonderful to be a part of passing on the faith to the next generation. Oh, we mark it today as Confirmation Sunday, but we are to participate in it year-round. We're to be lived examples of Christian discipleship for these young people who come. Can you imagine yourself as an example of Christ, as a representative or an ambassador of Christ in the world? That's the commitment we make in our baptism and our confirmation liturgies. The congregation is always asked to respond. 
I think you'll remember what we say, but I want to read it to you for a moment to remind us of how we respond to someone else coming to faith. What our calling is when they're responding to their sense of God calling them. Certainly it's a high calling to live as an example of Christ in the world for another. And yet that's exactly the calling that we affirm whenever we baptize, whenever we confirm somebody's faith. It can be a daunting task to think of ourselves as a living example of Christ, as a a model for Christian discipleship. And yet that is what we're called to do as part of the family of Christ. The question, of course, you will hear as familiar if you've been here when we have done a baptism or a confirmation. I ask the congregation, do you as Christ's body, the church, reaffirm both your rejection of sin and your commitment to Christ? And our answer as the congregation is we do. But then I ask this question, will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life and include these persons now before you in your care? And do you remember how our answer begins? With God's help. With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. Oh, it's a high calling to which we are called to be living examples of Christian discipleship. But we understand we do not do it alone. We do it with God's help. Just as God is the primary actor in baptism we understand that god continues to be a primary force in our lives as followers of jesus christ peter tells these first hearers about the resurrection the same kind of story he describes the same kind of dynamic right after he says god has done this great thing to make jesus lord and messiah And these other hear this, it said they're cut to the heart or they feel a sense of conviction. And they say, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's answer has these three components. You should repent or turn toward God. That's what he tells them. You should repent or turn toward God. Then we will baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ or the church or those who already believe will surround you and bring you into the family. Then God will bless you with the power of the Holy Spirit. You begin to see how All of this is God's initiative. All of this is God's work in the world and in our lives. And yet we make a personal commitment to Christ, but that's not the last commitment we make. We're to be ones who are ready to surround others with faith, to surround others with a community of love and forgiveness, to help build others up, to equip others so that the body gets stronger. It's not just our salvation that we're talking about in terms of a baptism or a profession of faith. 
But we're talking about what God is doing in the world, drawing others into the family of faith. It's a powerful and beautiful experience anytime we can be a part of someone else coming to faith or growing in their maturity and their stature as a Christian disciple. Anytime we can walk in such a way that someone else can see a model of faith or a model of Christian discipleship, that's a powerful expression of our relationship with God and what God is doing in us and in the world. What we'll be participating in when we confirm these young people today or any time that we participate in a baptism, we realize has been going on for thousands of years. It's impacted millions of people around the world. And now we have an opportunity to think so clearly about our role in that. Oh, we're thinking about the commitment these young people are making. Reverend Langston, who's been working with them all year, already told you some about the affirmation of faith and how they're thinking and studying and learning about the faith. And, of course, we expect them to continue to grow in their faith and their understanding and their witness. But they've come to a point now where we give them this opportunity to stand up and take more responsibility for their own faith, their parents, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles, their caregivers, some others in this congregation have been helping them get to this point. But now they come to this age of responsibility where they have opportunity to stand up and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be one through whom God can work so that love comes alive in the world. It's the same experience these very first hearers of the gospel had. We hear how they responded. They, they heard Peter and they responded to his proclamation of what God is doing in Jesus. In the very last verse, in verse 41, we hear how they respond. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about three thousand persons were added they don't they note how many responded that day three thousand some people think that's a big number some think that's an impossibly big number that somehow that could not have happened that three thousand people responded at one time but i'm not so sure I began to wonder, how, how could that happen today? How could we have this experience of 3,000? Was that possible? I began to think maybe we could do that in a year. Or I thought maybe a better measure would be three years, thinking about Christ's ministry lasting three years. So he's been building this following. And now 3,000 respond. I began to think about the confirmation class and how there are going to be 18 of them i thought what if each of them so lived their lives in this next year that people saw the love of god alive in them and maybe they reached one each to bring them into this family of faith so They'd reach 18, and then that 18 becomes 36 in the next year. And if they each reach one, then it becomes 72. And if you multiply it out, sometime between year 7 and 8, 
we would actually reach 3,000 in one year. It began to seem like a more doable proposition. Of course, you have to assume that God can use these young people in such a way that others see the love of God alive in them and ask some questions, have some inquiries, receive an invitation, have opportunity to participate and to respond for themselves. Can young people be living examples of Christ? I would say for sure. Can God work through these young people? I think the answer is yes. Is God calling other people into the family of faith? Peter says, oh yes, that's what God is doing. So maybe it's not such a great leap numerically to think about 3,000. I begin to think, what if, what about this group? What about the gathered community here? What if we, each of us, took this idea seriously that God is calling not only us into this family of faith, but is calling others as well? What if we really heard that Peter, that part of Peter's proclamation where he says, the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Him. What if we each took that seriously? This morning, between a variety of services, we'll probably have about a thousand people. I don't know the exact count, but it'll be close to a thousand, give or take a few. If we all decided that God was working through us, if we all thought, God was trying to reach one more person through us? If a thousand of us thought that, and we each reached one in the next year, then that would be a thousand new people. And then if they joined us, that would be 2,000 of us doing that. And all of a sudden, we would reach 3,000 in year, sometime in year two, between year two and three we could reach 3,000 people if we were all open and allowing God to work through us. I think the greatest leap is not the number 3,000. I think the greater leap probably for us is taking this step in our own minds and hearts to see this as a regular part of our life of faith. To live daily as if we understand God's trying to work through us to share His love with somebody else. That we began to live our lives as if there's somebody that's going to cross our paths that God is already calling. If we begin to live like that, when we begin to live like, oh, I'm supposed to be sharing the love of God today. I'm supposed to be looking to do good or will the good for another today. I might run into someone today that God is calling into the family of faith. I need to be ready to love them. That might change our faith. Could you do that? Would you do that? 
Would you make a commitment to Christ in such a way that every day when you awoke, you were thinking about how might God use me today? How might God make me a living example of Christ for someone else as I go through my day? It would be something important for us to think about even as we think about these young people making their commitment to Christ. Amen. And thanks be to God.